0: As the world went into lockdown in March 2020, the DPP, in partnership with Signiant, began an in-depth survey of the media industry's perceptions of remote working and its effects on business. Weekly and monthly surveys with 100 companies were conducted over a four-month period. And then, in July 2020, we published a report of our findings. People said that their companies had taken quite comfortably to remote operation. A remarkable overnight transformation in ways of working that has already become a legend of the pandemic. But there were many more findings that were more troubling. Indeed, our executive summary ended like
1: this. Overall, constraining measures across the industry combined with other projected negative impacts make a bleak picture. This is difficult to reconcile with the relatively sanguine view expressed publicly. The huge variation in the assessments of the impact suggests there is no common media industry view. This raises profound questions about how well the industry understands itself as it comes out of the crisis.
0: So a year on from such an observation, with some hope we are now finally coming out of the crisis. Is there any evidence that media industry understands itself any better? Thanks very much for joining us for this, the latest DPP podcast. I'm Mark Harrison, the CEO of the DPP. And as always, I'm joined by this other guy.
1: Hello, I'm Rowan de Pomeray. I am the CTO at the DPP. So, Mark, you and I, uh, we both took this home working thing a little bit too literally, didn't we? We we both turned it into working on our homes, in fact.
0: Yeah, yeah. There seemed to be a kind of misunderstanding of prepositions going on for us. Uh, We heard working in our homes as working on our homes. So we managed to uh, spend most of lockdown surrounded by builders.
1: Yes, indeed, and uh, I mean, mine's just coming towards the end. I think yours has just finished, right? So we're we're both sort of moving back into our homes, just as we also start to head back into the office occasionally.
0: Yeah, we've got a kind of double return to what begins to feel a bit like normality. Uh, a little bit, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, it kind of it does it does really uh, bring it home to you and me, in particular. Um, you know what a strange uh, and disruptive time it has been, and uh, it is—it is, it is a really peculiar time um, to try and be planning for the next phase, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, both—you know—personally and and as an organisation that employs a bunch of people, and, and we have to worry about that team, but also as as an organisation that that brings people together. Right, it's it's an especially interesting time for us
0: yeah yeah so of course people keep saying to us you know what are you going to do with your events um are you going to go back to doing in-person events soon exactly when will you do that you know will you, will you stay online um and one of the things that's actually uh, really struck me about uh, the last few months is that on the one hand we're hearing a lot of people say they're completely fed up with virtual events they're absolutely desperate to get back to meet in person and yet they will then rather kind of earnestly inform you that of course never mind what government restrictions may may be removed you know their company will still be um very very cautious and be you know be following covid protocols and will not be having in person events in their buildings
1: yeah, it's a it's a weird sort of dichotomy going on, isn't there? I think personally, almost all of us are sort of desperate to to see other people, but as as managers and corporates, uh, there, there seems to be a, a real, real caution about uh, enabling your teams and, and your staff and your sites to return to any of that sense of normality yet.
0: Yeah, and it it just it just makes me realise how. Emotional. This whole experience has been. Um, and I think often when people are doing that thing about, oh well, yes, but you know, it won't be back to normal here. Um, they're, they're just sort of speaking from that sense of, of not daring to to predict the future and the unknown and 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 you know that that um, inability to be able to work out how we think the sort of personal and the corporate space is going to um sort of interact and find its balance in the months ahead is is kind of what made me really keen to to ask whether actually as an industry um we're at all well placed to speak kind of sensibly about the next kind of year or so and to really look back on what's being gone in a way that 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 gives us more than just a series of cliches.
1: Yeah, I think you've really hit on something there with that balance between um, the the needs of the business, the needs of the individual. Right? You know, it seems that we'd been used for for decades to a pretty rigid structure in which businesses assumed that they need people in an office, and and people assumed that that was kind of part of the deal of having a job. Um, and it, and it was pretty unusual, and you know, not unheard of, but but. You know, relatively unusual for for businesses to allow people to work fully remotely or or a majority of their time remotely. Um, but but there is that thing that we we all seem to sort of get very very caught up in what's happened right now, and and that switch has gone completely in the opposite direction to everybody being at home. Quite frankly, originally because they were required to. But but um, I think there is definitely a a sense now that it's it's very hard to to reconcile what what organizations need and, and what individuals desire in terms of when is the right time to, to push anybody back into the office and you know the amount of pushback that, that you've seen in in some companies that have tried to do that pretty rapidly.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. But you know maybe it's because I'm somebody that uh uh always wants to know kind of what the the next level of question is you know what what the kind of the analysis is behind any statements about the future i i must say i must say i'm getting to the point now where if i hear another person observe that in the future we will work two or three days in the office and two or three days at home i think i'm going to scream (laughs) because perfectly intelligent people now offer this up as if it's an observation that has any kind of use or meaning Um, when actually if you just stop, close your eyes for 30 seconds and think through in any given part of our industry, any given business, what that actually would mean in reality, you're immediately led into some really actually fascinating complexity that I think I think begs some much more interesting questions about um, the way not just that we want to work but the way that maybe we will need to work and be equipped to work in the future.
1: yeah, it's it's a uh... A real cliche now, as you said, and and I think you know for many of us that is a great working pattern for those of us doing particular types of jobs. Um, but but there's obviously you know firstly how do you reconcile that with a property strategy and and a you know a, a chief people officer's needs and a and a chief financial officer's needs, um, but also you know perhaps perhaps through the fact that we've all been stuck in our own four walls over the last year or so, I think a lot of people are, are forgetting that there are other people outside those four walls who do different things to to what they do you know there are there are absolutely a bunch of desk based jobs where that cliche is true but but there are a huge number of roles in in the media industry where it's simply not possible um you know where where there is either an, an absolute requirement or just a huge value in in being physically co-located with others um so, yeah, it, it, it seems like we're sort of making these sweeping generalizations a little bit um, without thinking through the, the consequences across the whole organization.
0: Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because uh, you know, in a business where people love to tell you how special what they do is, um, we're also kind of weirdly prone to talking about media as if it's a single homogenous thing, as if there's only one type of content that's sort of made in one kind of way. And we know it absolutely isn't. And I just find it interesting, for instance, to think okay, so, you know, let's say I work in documentary production. What does that statement about two or three days at home or two, three, two or three days in the office actually mean? You now, if I worked in drama, if I worked in live sport, what do any those statements are actually pretty much entirely useless to me?
1: Yeah. And I think actually, if you start to look at, it, those different roles individually what you might see is that yes there is some blend of uh, of working from home and working on site that might might actually be be similar proportions but certainly won't be divided into days a week you know if, if you're a documentary producer as you say Then, when you're shooting, you're going to need to be out and about, and there's simply no other way to do it. When you are, you know, rough cutting, maybe you'll do the whole of that from home in a cloud-based edit solution. And so, it might not be two or three days a week; it might be two or three months out on the road, and then you know, two or three months sitting at home. There, there could be any number of different ways that this gets cut for different
0: roles. Right, 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 right. And and I guess so. Why why I think this merits conversation is that actually. It is precisely when you start to play it through like you've just described that you you get to then needing to think about what kinds of of tools and organization and processes and policies and all that kind of stuff uh people will actually need i mean just reflect for a moment on on something like uh you know a sales role at the moment if you're in a in a vendor well heck i mean those folk um, have always spent a lot of their time on on aeroplanes and in hotel rooms. Um, and so, again, the question for them isn't going to be two or three days at home or in the office. It's going to be to what extent will they still be doing that? And, mm-hmm. and almost certainly I would have thought the the kind of determining factor in that won't be what they fancy doing for their work life balance is going to be what the finance director says is now going to be acceptable given that that he or she has observed they saved, you know, a million dollars or or so while that person was not on the road.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, I you know I have personal experience of this. My my last role before joining the DPP was was managing a professional services team for a software company, and you know we had customers who were extremely demanding about having me and my team on site, uh, and we have others had others who were were very happy doing everything remote Um, and I'm I'm sure that those demands will change based on the experiences that we've had in the last year or so but ultimately if you know if you've got a high profile customer who's paying a lot of money then they want somebody on site to help fix their problems then you're gonna do that
0: right yeah yeah do you know even though I've never worked for uh, a media vendor I this is what I really do feel for them because I've got a horrible feeling that it's going to be the end users who are going to tend to sit tight and say, oh, you know, for for reasons of our new policies, you know, as a result of COVID and cost reduction and environmental sustainability and everything else, basically, we're not coming on the road um, uh, either at all or as much as before. You've got to come to us.
1: Yeah, certainly be interesting to track how how that does play out because uh, you could well be right. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I think it, again, it's back to different people in different roles have different lived experiences historically as well, right? So, you know, for for those kinds of teams, hybrid working isn't new, right? You know, having mm-hmm. having some people in the office and some people, whether it's because they're at home or or just out on the road but but remote in some way um that that's not new and i think there's an awful lot of chatter from from those who do find this new because of course it's very important to them that that you know their world is changing but uh, but there are certainly lessons that we can all learn from those who have been doing this for quite some time
0: yeah that's true actually we've almost forgotten that lots of our colleagues have got an enormous amount of experience in in trying to trying to live and work this way um there's something else that's really come out recently for me in some of our conversations in in the dpp uh, and it was triggered by doing our piece called uh, working live um, which was looking at changes in ways of working within live uh, content creation um was it for the first time you know in the last few weeks i have heard people expressing real concern like serious concern about the well-being impacts of workforces that have been so remote from each other for so long mm. you know, it sort of gone it gone beyond simply hey you know people have got a thirst to get back together for for collaboration and in order to have the social engagement again but actually to the kind of frankly you know what people are, are going slightly crazy they're going that they're lonely um it's 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 impacting them and we're worried and actually by the way just to to put a cherry on the top of that that um some of that is because being in a remote working environment actually makes it possible to work harder um you've established the tools for doing that you can get some pretty incredible efficiencies uh by kind of you know following the sun as it were in your working life so you know just as people are saying oh but the workforce will insist upon now working at home two or three days a week because of work-life balance actually meanwhile for some people working at home has actually become a way of working even more intensely than they were before
1: oh absolutely i mean we've had conversations with some uh you know senior technology leaders in in media companies who've been using the uh the tracking capabilities of their cloud systems to to look at the working habits of of right. their staff and and seeing you know really quite frightening trends of of people working, you know, in the middle of the night and, you know, sort of ridiculously long hours, because, you know, as you say, there's, there's, you lose the separation, I guess. Um, Yeah,
0: that's the voluntary stuff. But, you know, well, well, we can debate how voluntary it really feels to the individual. But, but, but I'm hearing there's also, um, you know, there's now the scheduling of work in order to Mm -hmm. maximize the hours as it were because you haven't got travel time you haven't got to leave one particular show and start another you can go you can go from thing to thing far more um, quickly than you used to be able to
1: yeah absolutely well and, and especially in in sort of live events and that kind of thing it's uh it's one of the great benefits uh of of sort of centralized production or, or distributed production but uh but yeah as you say it's, it's it has an impact for the individuals involved as well as the uh the utilization of, of equipment and so on yeah
0: yeah so to kind of to get back to to why this felt like a a topic that was kind of bugging us um a little bit uh it it it, it does feel doesn't it as if um you know we've kind of avoided really getting into this kind of level of conversation in our business that that. Even though we've actually been living um, in some degree of lockdown for eighteen months, and even though the kind of primary impacts of that were identified within three months of it starting, I mean truly weren't they you know everybody mm. kind of had things to say about the shift to remote working about kind of the increased use of cloud tools, but within you know weeks of it all starting and yet so another year further on we're kind of still repeating the same lines that we were saying around about last July that we we haven't we haven't very often I don't think gone to some of these deeper conversations and it and it it really does make me wonder why not
1: yeah and and actually things start to open up a little bit more in in you know many of the countries where where people will be listening to this the you know the crunch time could be coming we, it's it's all very well to say people will be in the office two or three days a week um and that means that the CFO and and the property team you know we know we see this in many organizations they're already looking at, at what that means in terms of what they can do to downsize their property footprint um but yet nobody really seems to have really satisfactory answers for the questions of, okay, but what about when everybody wants to be in at once? You know, the point of going in part-time is that, is that you're in the office to be with other people. You know, are we going to see the rise of really complex scheduling tools across organizations that, that allow teams to within a big organization to come together, but not when too many other teams are in the office and, 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 Frankly and selfishly, what does that mean for a small organisation like like the DPP, where we can't balance off, you know, different teams of hundreds of people and and sort of assign some of them to be in the office some days and some of them to be in the office other days? Either we're all there or we're not. Um, and and you know, many of our many of our member companies will have that kind of problem. There's a lot of small companies who who might be questioning the value of a of an office space five days a week, yet still want to be able to get together sometimes.
0: Right, and it could force them into being fully distributed um and uh and then maybe just sort of meeting up you know in a, in a kind of paid space from time to time, and I know there are some companies that uh, that operate that way um it's still quite profound though isn't it, because again, if you then get to kind of the next level of questioning, it's like okay well if if we're a company that didn't used to be so sort of truly distributed and now we do decide to do that because we can't justify um, paying for an office space that can take all of us, but that we only ever go to altogether, you know, one or two days a week, then what does that now mean for how we might hire, who we might hire? Are we prepared to be distributed beyond our national border? Um, Will we now have employees from another country working for us? I mean, these are are really big questions. even for small companies,
1: they are, and, and they start again. They they start to connect into other parts of the organization. So, you know, it's it's very easy for you know some some startup in France or Germany or the UK might might think actually this is a great opportunity for us to be a little bit more international. Let's make our next hire in in the US, you know, or uh, in Asia somewhere. But then, not only have you got to deal with being distributed, but actually you've got to deal with the fact that salary expectations are different. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, well, the well, employment law regime. is different, yeah. the tax regime exactly. Um no, you know, these are new problems, mm-hmm. I guess. These these are things that businesses have to grapple with. But I th- I think a lot more businesses are going to be forced to grapple with them a lot sooner. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just,
0: I mean, just, you know, what we're doing is we're just turning up the numerous examples of where you get this kind of complexity that uh, is so interesting. And again, it's just, yeah, I, I find it very odd. It's been so little discussed. But I think it might be partly to do with human nature because um, I, I think humans just have a tendency innately to have a linear view of the future. They always think that whatever is happening in this very moment is going to be the thing that goes on happening. And, you know, pro- probably somewhere in evolutionary biology, this is part of a survival mechanism that kind of enables you to get to grips with change because you, your circumstances have changed and you have to accept it. And the only way of accepting it is to accept the idea it's going to carry on for quite a while. Maybe that's where it comes from.
1: Yeah, perhaps. I think, uh, I think there's probably a couple of other factors that play into this, though, as well. Like, you know, one is... I do think that, that sitting in our homes and, and doing everything via Zoom has, has for a lot of people made the, the sort of world outlook a little bit more insular. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it is kind of easy to think much more about yourself and your own world when, when you are so physically in it all the time. But also I think, you know, for most of us, the, the work hasn't stopped, right? And, you know, for many organizations, there's been a huge amount, of additional complexity to deal with during the pandemic, on top of keeping the wheels moving for their their respective businesses, and you know I, I I do think that often leads to a culture of you know sort of constant firefighting, dealing with the next priority and the next priority and the next priority, and taking time to actually step back and think about the future. You know it's it's it is something that requires thought and, and effort. Um, and uh, few of us really get to, to make time for that. Yeah,
0: maybe. maybe it's just about 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 time making. Um, I, I, I can't help but think though that it's also it's also something quite profound about our ability to um, to accept that uh, the future is, is, is going to be a, a different version of the present. Um, and that, you know, because I guess that's, I guess it's so challenging, isn't it? About about how you um, kind of harness your knowledge and your experience to to form views. Because what I'm saying is that you know, you've got to have the self confidence to go, okay, looking at the things that are that are happening right now around such and such, I believe these ones will continue; these ones won't. These ones will change like this. This thing will get will get to stay to to this kind of degree, but only to this degree for these reasons. I guess it requires a huge amount of kind of analytical self-confidence to form those views. And with a very good chance you're gonna be wrong. Whereas if you say, oh, you know, I I I I think that because, for instance, just to take it out of the pandemic for a sec, because Netflix is doing really well at the moment it's going to do really well forever is it just feels like a much safer thing to say
1: mm, yeah and, and i think we you know we're famously very bad at understanding the um the likely impact of change so you look at this in terms of uh, emergence of new technologies um you know it's it's often said that on average we grossly overestimate the impact in in the first year or two and grossly underestimate the impact in in the decade that follows. Wasn't well, that Bill Gates who uh, uh, I it might well have been um and and you know it is it is very true right you know we we see something new or we experience something new and we we sort of immediately rush to assume that it will be all defining um yeah Without, without sort of thinking about what the knock-on impacts might be, how how different uh, you know different factors will play together over a longer period of time.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is that is really true. But and it and it it does greatly constrain the innovation conversation. I mean, that really came through when we did the making innovation pay work. Um, I'm not saying that the people we brought together to do the work. <laughs> had a linear view of the future but if you looked back at the last 30 years um and of what during that 30 years we thought was going to be important uh just time and time again as an industry although i'm I'm pretty sure this is not unique to the media industry at all um we we just kept on thinking that the future was going to be the thing that was then the present
1: yeah I'm absolutely right and and Yes, you're, you know there there is just a a natural tendency to to extrapolate from now rather than considering you know all the various different variables that are going to going to change things in the future. But I wonder when when
0: this uh, this way that people tend to think um, gets applied to to business and gets applied, you know, at a moment of Huge crisis and and transformation like we have just been having. I wonder whether you end up actually with a a paradox, which is that in moments of greatest change, you actually have the weakest analysis of change. The people are just overwhelmed by what's changed in their present, so mm-hmm. they're fixated on the change to the present, and all they can let themselves do is project that into the future, but they just haven't got the the capacity to be analytical about where this may go next.
1: You could well be right. Um, it, uh, and it is quite paradoxical. You'd, you'd like to think that in those moments of great change, we, we'd have our minds freed up more than ever. But, uh, but but you're right. It it almost seems that you get so caught up in dealing with the here and now that it's it's very difficult to cast our minds further forward and you know maybe that's why when we did our design for
0: tomorrow series last year people found it so rewarding because in a way we we kind of forced each other to come together and kind of hold hands and and you know think about what a successful company would need to be like in various different parts of the business um in a few years time we actually Kind of just accepted the big changes that, that had just occurred, and actually forced ourselves to project, and it was it was a really great exercise, wasn't it? You can almost you know feel the energy that got released by having a, a kind of formal opportunity to have to be more analytical.
1: Okay, okay, okay. Mark, listen, we've we've talked a lot. We've expressed our frustration at. Uh ever-repeated cliches and uh, and and sort of these high-level statements that we all make. We've identified that we're not necessarily as good as we should be at thinking into the future and, and understanding how things will change rather than just extrapolating from now. But what are we to do about it? What What do we need to do differently?
0: Yeah, of course, that is the really big question. And this might sound a bit self-serving from um an organization that specializes in bringing people together in conversation but i i do feel like it's a particularly important time for us to be talking together as peers um listening to people from different kinds of businesses but but the, when we do it actually i think we've got an obligation to be Perhaps a bit more challenging of mm. each other than we might have been before. Not not in a I don't mean in a in a hostile or assertive way. I just mean that we need to keep on inviting each other to to go to the next level down to to really try and articulate the the detail of what's going to need to happen in particular businesses for them to be Equipped for the future because it just feels like this is the moment for detailed analysis
1: to be a little bit more practical and and you know we said at the start of this year that 2021 would be the year of doing and uh, and I think we must all hold ourselves to that Um, you know we're we're doing our very best with that within some of the DPBs work right now and you know we're taking some strands from last year like the cloud for media and going. Deeper into specifics around particular parts of the content supply chain and how they are being affected by a move to the cloud we, but that's it, right we've got to move beyond the the high level chat about, yeah, you know we'll we'll move some some stuff to the cloud, and that'll probably enable some new flexibility and so on. The pandemic has set conversations like that to rest. I think we we know that we need to be more flexible, more location independent, more agile, more scalable how are we truly making it happen across different parts of our business and across different types of businesses
0: right you're right that's it isn't it it's like moving beyond kind of the overarching principles for change and actually into the, the action statements around change mm. we actually have to do you know i'm i'm really excited about our our media supply festival which is going to look in detail at what it means to have software-defined workflows often running in the cloud, um, but particularly that that came out of a number of member companies saying to us, you know, can we can we just explore this now properly, mm-hmm. uh, properly as a as a as a detailed bit of real business activity? Now that we can get beyond the kind of the bland statements about it.
1: Yeah, and can we dive into, you know, what does it look like practically? Let's actually do some of it and and let's get into the thorny topics. And, you know, to your point about challenge, um, you know, there there should be some some tough conversations in that event. I'm I'm equally excited by it. Um and uh yeah, I think, you know, it'll it'll be a really great way to see much more of the detail of what people are are actually doing. Um,
0: yeah, actually, you just put your, your finger on it there in a way because it's, it's tough out there. You know, people predicted at the start of the year that it would be tough in the market and it quite clearly is tough out there in the market. And that's, I think, possibly why some of these COVID cliches are so unsatisf- unsatisfying because they're so bland when the world of business is actually very sharp right now. And, uh, and and that's that's why we have to get to a level of of conversation that's that's equally sharp, even if sometimes it's quite uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. And uh, well, we'll we'll keep holding ourselves and our members to that as uh, as we go into those events. Um, but meanwhile, Mark, I think you deserve a little time off to go and to go and sharpen those uh, challenges. <laughs> uh, you are taking a little time off on you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you said that uh, this was supposed to be the the year of doing well. Unfortunately for me, six months in, it's the year of being completely done. Um, like <laughs> like most others, I'm absolutely worn out by the intensity of uh, what's been going on for the for the last however long. So yeah, I'm off for a couple of weeks of welcome break, and then um, we'll be fully charged to come back and dive into all these brilliant topics. So I'm looking forward to it and uh, looking forward to uh, being back into another podcast next month.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Well, I hope you and uh, many others, of course, uh, will enjoy your breaks and uh, we'll be back, as you say, in, uh, in August time. And then hopefully everybody who's listening will be joining us for the Media Supply Festival. It's the 7th and 8th of September.
0: Absolutely, can't wait for that. But meanwhile, thank you all very much for listening. And we look forward to uh, to seeing you all again soon. We hope. Bye for now.